So Joshua 22, we'll look at that this evening. So hopefully it's much more encouraging times at this point. Uh, Hopefully. Uh, But we'll read the entire chapter. I'll begin reading at verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents into the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, the land of their possession which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a great and impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan, on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to half the tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. And with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to half half the tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord? In that you have built for yourselves an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day? although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord. For the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us, but do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar Besides the altar of the Lord our God, do not uh, do, did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, 
The Lord God of gods. The Lord God of gods. He knows and let Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear. For a reason saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord, so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore we said that it will be when they say this to us, to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Now when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the, the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh smoke, uh, spoke, it pleased them. Uh, then Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Amen. Well, it's unfortunate that people go to war for all sorts of things in this world, and most of the time those things are illegitimate. It can be over money, over resources, expansion, or perhaps the one way it can be legitimate is to stop an oppressive threat. And sometimes, and a lot of times, people go to war over worship. And even when you consider World War I and World War II, uh, there was a lot of religious undertones when it came to those world wars and many other wars in the history of this world. And so this idea of worship is an issue uh, for the people of Israel here in chapter 22. A civil war is threatened over perceived idolatry. Now we come to the last section in the book of Joshua. We saw entering the land, conquering the land, possessing the land, and then today we see retaining the land. Remember, God fulfilled his promise. There was no falling word to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. But remember, according to the terms of the Old Covenant, a covenant of works for life in the land. Salvation is never held out. It's an external covenant. 
they wanted a good life in the land, they had to do what Yahweh said. And that primarily starts with worship. Worship plays an integral and important role in the history of Israel. And we certainly are seeing this uh, when we look at the minor prophets, especially during the time of Hosea. And so how will Israel remain? How will Israel retain? Will Israel do what Yahweh has said? Now, there is a major problem when it comes to the unity in worship for Israel. And that's the barrier of the Jordan River. This geographical barrier that they divided uh, the tribes in half. Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh were on the eastern side of the Jordan. They're the Trans-Jordan tribes or the Cis-Jordan tribes. Uh, I know those terms are used today for other things, but that's what commentators call the, the, these tribes who are on the other side or the eastern side of the Jordan. Remember, they have inherited uh, the eastern side. They preferred that side. Remember, Moses said, that's fine, but you have to come with your brethren. You have to help uh, dispossess the land, and then you can return. We see that they go first, that they come, and they obey and follow Joshua. And so there is this barrier for them uh, that is the Jordan River. Now, there is a problem in our modern context, and the problem is a priority barrier. Not so much the Jordan River. I guess if you're American, it could be the, the actual border can be a barrier. But uh, typically in our modern context, when it comes to worship, especially in our part of the world, it is priority. What do we put first? What do we put uh, at the, what do we regard as the highest thing that we get to do in this world? There is little zeal for worship, uh, unfortunately, among the church of God and even sometimes uh, even from pastors. And certainly we see that in chapter 22. As the Israelites demonstrate unity in faithful worship to Yahweh their God as a response to his faithfulness. He has been good to them. He has been fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Now they must retain this land that God has given to them. And they demonstrate here positively unity in worship in chapter 22. And so we'll look at this unity in worship under three headings. Uh, first of all, we'll see per the perception of apostasy in verses 1 through 20. Secondly, we'll see the perception of disunity in verses 21 through 29. And lastly, we'll see the perception of Yahweh's presence in verses 30 through 34. So perception being the operative word, perception of apostasy, of disunity, and of Yahweh's presence. So let's first look at the perception of apostasy in verses 1 through 20. And notice in verses 1 through 10, we see the altar that the Transjordan tribes build. But before we get to that altar, we see they are, uh, have been given leave to return to their land. And one thing that is repeated throughout verses 1 through 9 is important when it comes to retaining the land. How often did we hear, as I commanded you, as I commanded you, now do as the Lord has commanded you, especially verse 4. Uh, they've kept the commandment of the Lord, verse 3, and now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren. He has promised them, now therefore return and go possess your land. But, verse 5, take careful heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. That was how they were going to retain the land. That was how they were going to have a good life in the land. If they didn't do that, 
then they're going to have curses that come upon them, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So the tribes have been given leave. Uh, Joshua says, return, but do what the Lord has said. And so as they're making their way to cross the Jordan River, we see in verse 10, they come to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan. The children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great and impressive altar. As Davis says, what can an altar alter? So they build this altar. Uh, we haven't been told, even though we've read already what it means, but if you're reading it for the first time, we perhaps could perceive that it could be a rival to Shiloh. So there's a big game of telephone in Israel that happens based upon this impressive altar. Verse 11, Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan, on the altar of Israel's side. So as they're crossing the Jordan at Gilgal, remember when the people came in, they camped at Gilgal. And so as these guys are returning, as these tribes are going back to their land, they have now built an altar at Gilgal. And so the 10 tribes who've inherited the, the, the actual land of Canaan proper, uh, they have hear word, they hear about this altar, they hear, uh, they hear about this impressive altar, uh, that these three, I guess, two and a half tribes have built. Now, altars are typically used in worship. And so what we see is the sound of a battle cry in verse 12. When the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle is, before Yahweh Most High, at the true place of worship, to go to make war against them. And so they sound the battle cry. They send delegates, delegates to go and delegates. Uh, yeah, that would be our modern uh, people that we would say <laughs> delegates uh, to go to uh, the, the western or the eastern side. And so we see those delegates in verse 13, although they would be delicate later on. But uh, the delegates here, we see Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. Uh, he goes to Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh. They go to Gilead. And then, and then 10 rulers, one ruler from each tribe, from the chief house of every tribe of Israel. Each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. And so Phineas is sent. He is the grandson of Aaron. Joshua is mentioned in verses 1 through 9. But remember, Joshua is older in age. He doesn't go out for war anymore. And also as well, Phineas is the one who is used when there uh, is needed uh, zeal for worship. He is the one who is used when it's a worship issue. And so he is sent, he is ready to make actual, I guess, religious war, uh, civil war, uh, for the protection of Israel at this time. And we see that in what they bring before the, uh, the eastern tribes. Verse 15. We see why they've sounded the battle cry. Verse 15. So they come to Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh. And notice what they say in verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? They're viewing it as an altar, as a rival to Shiloh. 
Remember in Deuteronomy 12, Yahweh said, you will worship at the place that I choose, not anywhere else. This is the place I have chosen. This is where you're going to do sacrifices. This is where you're going to come for your feasts, not any other place. This is where I will meet with Israel as a body politic. This is where I'll meet with Israel as their God. And so Phineas and the tribes in the West, they view it as a rival to Shiloh. And so they come, they're ready to make war, they're ready to deal with this altar. They perceive it as a place where offerings would be offered. Henry says it was no strained innuendo from the building of an altar to infer intention to offer sacrifice upon it. And that might introduce idolatry and end in total apostasy from faith and worship of the God of Israel. So great a matter might this fire kindle. God is jealous for his own institutions, and therefore we should be so too, and afraid of everything that looks like or leads to idolatry. So it might be a hasty accusation, but perhaps not only do they have Deuteronomy 12 in view, but they also have Deuteronomy 13 in view. Remember that ascending scale when it came to perceived apostasy? Prophet or dreamer of dreams comes, deal with that prophet. Because the hope is the prophet doesn't then sway your wife. But the problem is if your wife then gets swayed by that prophet, then you have to deal with your wife or your children or your mother or your grandfather or your mother-in-law. And so if you really had a bad mother-in-law, you know, idolatry might be the way to get out of that or I guess an accusation against idolatry. I'm a little salty today. And so when I'm salty, I can be a little mean. So uh, sorry about that if you love your mother-in-law. But it's not really a get-out-of-your-mother-in-law free card. But if there was apostasy, then you have to deal with it. And if you don't deal with your family, then full-blown cities uh, can lead to apostasy. But in all those instances, they had to make sure it was actual idolatry. And so we see here the Phineas and the Western tribes following that order they're making sure they're making sure that the eastern tribes aren't actually uh engaging in idolatry they're ready to go to war but they're clearing the air first they're making sure and they're uh, speaking concerning this warfare so they have this concern they don't want there to be a, a, a rival place of worship and in, uh, they recall or Phineas recalls two instances in Israel's history. Verse 17 is the iniquity of Peor, not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. This comes from Numbers chapter 25. Remember the people engage in apostasy with the people of Moab, and we see that guy goes into the camp with the Midianite lady. And what happens? He throws the, who comes, Phineas, throws that spear through the both of them. And what Phineas shows there is a zeal for the worship of God most high. We think it's bloody and terrible because we think we're more moral than God, but we're not. But Phineas throws that, uh, that, um, that, that spear through them and ends and atones. But 24,000 people still died that day. It was a severe plague uh, for Israel at that time. But Phineas was there. Phineas comes up when it comes to the worship and zeal for the worship of the Lord God Most High. And so God says to him, your reward is a perpetual priesthood. So there is that sin of Peor that they bring up, that apostasy 
that occurred then. But then also one that happened more recently is Achan from Joshua chapter 7. Um, uh, he says in verse 18, still with Peor, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord, the whole congregation, uh, Yahweh will be angry with that whole congregation. What happens to one happens to them all. And especially we see that with Achan sin in verse nine, uh, sorry, uh, verse 20. But before we get there, they, they suggest in verse 19, come back over to the western side. Come back over to Canaan. There's plenty of room. We can divide it. And you don't have to have this rival in Shiloh. If you think your land is unclean, do not rebel. Come, uh, do not rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. And then into Achan. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. We saw the consequence with the defeat at Ai, and we see Achan's family devoted to destruction as well. And so there is this concern, and perhaps there is a connection with Achan, uh, the, the beginning of the conquest after they've taken Jericho, and now the end as well uh, here at Gilead, but c uh, concerning this um, altar at Gilgal. And so they say, they want, they want to make sure there is no treachery. Please come back, dwell with us in the West. Uh, they make sure and they want to clarify the air uh, about this perceived apostasy. And I think one thing this section teaches us is about the importance of zeal for worship. And more importantly, zeal for how we worship according to God's ways. I do think there's a lot of lessons here in chapter 22 for the Church of Christ. When it comes to unity, which I'll talk about more under our second point, but also when it comes to how we worship God most high. It's what we call the regulative principle of worship. Yahweh had a certain way as the one who is our audience in worship in which he wished to be worshipped. And he laid that out very clearly for the people. This is the place you're going to do it. No other place. This is the place you're going to do it. No other place. He mentioned that like repeated. Now, thankfully, as under the new covenant for the church of Christ, we can gather uh, in a field. We can gather in a glen. We can gather, you know, in a barn. We can gather in a church. We come and be the church, but it's the church gathered. But when we come and gather as the church, we ought to worship God according to what he has said in his word. And we see that very clearly in John 4. We worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the word and quickened by the spirit. We don't, we do, we preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. We are the pastor supposed to rightly divide the word of God. He, the pastor is not supposed to uh, uh, preach things that tickle uh, the, or I guess scratch the itch uh, of people who want their ears scratched. The pastor is supposed to do what Yahweh said. And God said, and we see this in Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples. How do you do that? By baptizing and by teaching. That is what the church is supposed to do. We don't, just because it's not forbidden, does not mean it's okay. And our forefathers certainly in chapter 22 uh, of the confession highlight this very thing. The light of nature shows there is a God who should and ought to be worshipped. 
But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imagination and devices of men. You don't get to come into church and dance in the aisle. If you do that in our church, I'm going to get down from that pulpit. I'll I'll escort you out myself. That's not what we're supposed to do when we enter into the house of God most high. We enter in with reverence and we enter in with awe. The question we should ask when we come into a church and when we come to worship God is not, how will I feel? What will I like? But what is it that God desires? How shall I worship God with reverence and in awe? We get it backwards if we ask the question, what does the world want? What do unbelievers want? How do we get the lost? In- no, we ask, God, we ask God according to his word. How is it that he wishes to be worshipped? And so thankfully we come, we gather as the church of Christ to sing praises to his name. And it centers around the word, the preached word, the prayed word, the sung word, and the visible word that we partake of. There is no higher privilege than coming and gathering as the saints and worshiping God most high. We ask the wrong question if we're more concerned about the world than about the Lord God most high. And the regular principle teaches us it's regulated by God's word. So I think they were concerned about the regulative principle of the Old Testament uh, in, uh, in chapter 22, verses 1 through 20. So that's the perception of apostasy. Let's then look secondly at the perception of disunity in verses 21 through 29. And so it's good they cleared the air because here's what the East says. So Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, or half Manasseh, said to the heads, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, an emphatic confession. He is the Lord God overall. He's the covenant Lord, but he is our Lord They're highlighting that they are still confess in the one true God. And so they say, he knows and let Israel self know if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us. They call a curse upon themselves if their fidelity to Yahweh wavers. So they go on to say, it is not an altar for sacrifices. If we have built ourselves an altar, verse 23, to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, let the Lord himself require an account. So it's not for burnt offerings. It's not a rival to Shiloh. What it, notice what it is. But in fact, we have done it for fear. For a reason saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad and half Manasseh. You have no part in the Lord, so your descendants will make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. They have this concern for their children. They have this concern that down the road, that the Western tribes will be like, well, there's this Jordan here. You're not part of the people of God. And so as much as the Western side had this concern for the zeal and worship of God, so did the Eastern tribes. They wanted to be part of the people of God. They wanted to ensure that they would not be excluded from the house of God most high. 
David says, For here is worthy worry and proper anxiety, to care about whether one seed will be faithful to God and to take all necessary measures to ensure that it might be so. Brother, the reason we want to plant churches is for that very reason. The reason we want to raise up uh, fellow elders and hopefully young lads is for the purpose that when I die or when I retire, whenever that happens, could be 30 years, there's someone to take over. Jim said he's nine years away, so someone's got to you know, replace him pretty soon. We want to keep things going. Isn't that not a good thing? That's the purpose of seminary. That's the purpose of planting. There is this, certainly we're not pedos and we don't assume that our children are part of the covenant community, but nonetheless, we still have this desire for the future, that things continue on. You know, brethren, I hope, my hope is that should I drop dead, or I'm sure Pastor Butler's hope is should he drop dead, the church continues on. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need Pastor Butler. God can continue on. But the hope is people come and gather because they love the word of God most high and want to see that continue on. And so they have this concern. And so they say, let us now prepare to build an altar, verse 26, not for burnt offering. So they say it a million times, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord. It's not for burnt offerings, but it's a sign that we can come and perform burnt offerings. It's a sign that we can be part of the people of God, that your descendants may not come to ours in time to come and say, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or our descendants in time to come, we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it's a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. They have this concern. They have this faith, the faithful desire to be part of the people of God and to worship God at the place that he has chosen. And so we see that as they have cleared the air, we see this unity amongst the people of God. Even though there was perceived disunity, what we see here is that the misunderstanding has been cleared up. And what we do see here are believers who are united, or I guess, uh, the Old Testament, uh, uh, the, the Old Covenant Israel uh, is united in the worship of God at this time. And brethren, again, when it comes to the Church of Christ, who are the participants? It's believers. It's those who've been saved. I'm not against you know, preaching the gospel. I'm not against a gospel call at the end of the service. But the main thrust and main purpose of the church is to worship God. But it's for the saints, for the saints to worship God and for the saints to be equipped by God, Ephesians 4, for the saints to be edified by God, for the, uh, the, for the, to be ministered by God, according to Ephesians chapter 4. And here's how we walk in unity. I mean, even in Ephesians 4, he talks about the unity that we have. And it starts with the word, God giving gifts to the church, namely men to preach the word of God. He goes on to talk about how we live in unity. Well, we build up one another. We, 
We encourage one another. We don't lie to one another. We don't get angry with one another. But we forgive one another and forbear with one another and clear the air with one another, dear brethren. And certainly Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, I hope, is in view here. In Matthew 5, if you got an issue or think you did something to your brother, you go talk to him. In Matthew 18, if your brother wronged you, you go talk to him. So either way, someone's talking to someone. At least that's how it should be. Most of the time, if you're like me, you can be like, well, Matthew, if you think you're Matthew 18, or you think you've been wrong, you're like, but Matthew 5. Matthew 5, he's got to come talk to me. Or if you're the Matthew 5 guy, you might think Matthew 18. No, no, he, no, no, no. I, he's got to come talk. No, it's talk to one another. And even in marriage, too, this is a good example. You need to love one another rather than being uh, concerned with one's Self And certainly Israel here, they wanted to be, at this point, wanted to be part of the worship of God and did not want to be barred from it. They had this zeal for worship. They have this zeal for the truth. They have this zeal to do what Yahweh says and zeal for his house. house and that's how they walk together in unity. Brethren, we walk together in truth. I want to be gracious. I want to be kind. Uh, but I'm not, we're not going to get rid of doctrine. We're not going to compromise on doctrine at the expense of unity. What unites us is our God Most High and the worship that we have for Him. So hopefully we are united in worship. Because for them, there was this perception of disunity. But thankfully, there is the perception of Yahweh's presence. Verses 30 through 34. Notice, Phineas is satisfied. Phineas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions who were with him, they heard the words of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, and it pleased them. Then Phineas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the children of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. And now you have delivered the children of Israel out of of the hand of the Lord. Notice they recognize the unity among the people in conflict. An issue arises and they deal with it. Unity doesn't mean there is no conflict. Unity means dealing with it appropriately and according to God's ways. And we see that very clearly here in these verses. One reason to leave a church is if you have a disagreement with someone, if you mean mug someone, if you have an issue with someone, if you're grumpy with someone, if someone looked at you funny, that's not a reason to leave a church. The hope is people deal with their issues. There's like a million churches today, so people can just leave. They shouldn't, but they can just leave. There was a time where you couldn't drive to another church. There was a time where you could maybe walk to another church but because there were so many churches, especially in Geneva, the, the differing churches would be like, no, you got an issue. You got to go back to that other church and deal with it. I mean, we live in such a time where you can enter in anonymously and leave anonymously. And it's, you know, not, it's not good for inter-church relationship, but also with uh, uh, yeah, inter-church relationship and intra-church relationships as well. But notice also the Lord is among them. Notice how they know Yahweh's presence. That is, things are dealt with. This also is important when it comes to Matthew 18. People take Matthew 18 out of context, where two or three are gathered. Uh, there I am in their name. Do you know what that context is, dear brethren? 
It's in church discipline. It's when there are difficult issues that have to be dealt with. And a church that gathers to deal with it, Yahweh is with them. Because let's be honest, we are not omniscient. We're not omnipresent either, but we're not omniscient. We don't know everything. We don't understand everything. You know, an ounce of information leads to a pound of presumption. We think we know, we see this much of someone's life and we comment uh, on what we know about this much, but there's all these things that we do not see, brethren. We're, we always think that our opinion matters. We always think we have this great sort of advice that we ought to give. The best thing to do is just listen. You know, before Job's friends open their mouth, seven days they sit with Job quietly. That's probably the default we should take uh, with people. But the point is... Uh, that Yahweh is amongst his people when there's difficult things, waiting upon Christ, talking through things. And discipline really is difficult. We really need that help. We really need that aid. We need that strength. And thankfully, we can see Yahweh is with us. And we see that here. They perceive Yahweh is among us. Yahweh is with us. And you now have delivered us, uh, the children of Israel, out of the hand of the Lord. So Phineas returns, brings report, uh, brings back word to the, the western side. And verse 33, so the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. They were ready to go to battle over truth. But thankfully, as they followed protocol, as they followed God's word, uh, this crisis uh, at this point was and is averted. And so then, verse 34, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. That draws our attention, hopefully, back to Deuteronomy 6. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that confession is for the eastern side, and that confession is for the western side. And these people uh, had this altar as a sign of Yahweh's nearness and a sign of witness between the eastern side and the western side. They needed that. They didn't have Joshua 22. They didn't have the rest of the, new, uh, the, rest of the unfolding of God's revelation. And so the sign is used uh, as a sign of witness between the west and the east. Now, before we conclude, uh, it's important to contrast with what happens in Judges 20. As I've said, Joshua, for the most part, is a positive portrayal of the people in the land. Judges is not so much. And Phineas does come up later on in Judges 20, verse 28. He's just mentioned in passing, but it's still significant. See, we see some good things from Phineas. Numbers 25, throwing that spear through the Midianite and the Israelite. Uh, we see his good uh, uh, the, the, the good things here in Joshua 22. We do not see good things in Judges 20, 28. In Judges 20, uh, 19 and 20, we see the civil war that happens between Israel, uh, between all of the tribes and the Benjamites. This is that situation with the Levite and the concubine and what the wicked men of Gibeah do to that concubine uh, that resembles Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's on purpose. You see, what it shows is Israel so quickly degenerated in their worship and in their conduct to resemble 
Sodom and Gomorrah. And Phineas is mentioned in verse 28 on purpose to show how quickly that happens. See how quickly uh, things can degenerate? How quickly even a church can degenerate into a synagogue of Satan? How quickly things can change? And so certainly there's the positive here, but there is the negative aspect, which eventually we'll, we will see, uh, Lord willing, uh, next fall uh, in Judges chapter 20. Uh, but to conclude, uh, all of this teaches us about the right object of worship, and that is God Most High. Christ, uh, Christ, Henry says, Christ is the altar who sanctifies and gives his spirit, who bears that his people are children of God. Brethren, we come to worship. It is to praise the Lord's name. And don't forget, we were created for enjoying God and glorifying God, enjoying him forever and praising his name. We were created for worship. What happens? Man sins. Instead, we worship everything else but God, so we need redemption. We need salvation. We need uh, the gospel found in Jesus Christ. And if you've been redeemed in Christ, you should have a myriad of reasons to get up early on a Sunday and come to church. You should have a myriad of reasons of going to bed early on Saturday night. I might be a little bit legalistic there. I'm sorry for that. I can't, you know, call you up at 9.30. You're going to bed. Uh, that's not really my, uh, that's not my jurisdiction. But I can say you should prepare beforehand for the next day. If you're going to bed late and it's, if you're struggling to get up early the next day and to be awake and attentive... On a Sunday, you should really think about when you go to bed. Certainly, if you had to work a night shift or you're a firefighter. Remember when my professor said he had a firefighter uh, who worked the night shift before? But he was always still in church. He was sleeping, but he was always still in church. Uh, but he still came. The point is, we have so many reasons for which we ought to worship God most high. It shouldn't be a drudgery. It should be a delight for the people of God. And there's so many reasons. He is the creator he made you, so you should praise him. He sustains you and gives you food, shelter, and protection. You should praise him. He answers your prayers. You should praise him. He gives you strength during trials. You should praise him. And most importantly, he redeemed you. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you have been made alive together with him. For what reason? To worship and praise his name forever. Brethren, shouldn't we be united in worship and united in the object of worship, namely in Yahweh of Israel, namely in Jesus Christ our Lord? There is no better thing for us than to come and worship God according to his ways on the day that he is set apart in ways that please him. And thankfully, as we do so, he is pleased to meet us and he is pleased to be with us, for he is the Lord who is amongst his people and he is the Lord who is God. Well, let us pray. Well, Lord our God, we are thankful for all that you've done for us, and we pray that you'd forgive us for the times we are sluggish, forgive us for the times we do not prioritize your worship and gathering as the saints. Please forgive us for the times we are lazy uh, in these endeavors. Uh, we pray that we would not take for granted the blessing that it is to come twice on your Lord's Day and to sing praises to your name to come and pray before you and offer petitions and you hear us. 
So help us, O Lord, to be fed as we come. Help us, O Lord, to delight in coming. Help us, O Lord, to to recount your blessings that we would come and do. So help us to be united uh, as a church. We come from differing backgrounds. We struggle with differing sins. But help us still to be united as your saints. Help us to be united as your people. And be united in the truth around Jesus Christ, around the, the word of God, or around worship. Uh, may we delight to do such things. And we also pray that we would worship uh, in spirit and in truth, that we would worship you acceptably, for you are a consuming fire. Uh, thank you so much that you reveal how it is you wish to be worshipped in your word, and we pray that we would do so. And we thank you that you have blessed that in our church, that you've blessed that end in our church to preach it, to preach Christ, to preach your word. And you have uh, brought people in, you've edified your people, you have saved people. And we know this has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with you. And so may we give you the praise all the more. So help us now as we go into the world. We are tired and we are weary. Give us strength. Lift us up, we pray. In the name of Christ.